In the name of God, amen. amen. Good morning. Wonderful to be with you. So I have, um, I want to say something specifically to the younger members of the congregation and see if you can identify with this. When our sons were young, um, they're in their 20s now, but when they were young, sometimes I would yell at them for something with an intensity and an emotion that was way out of proportion to whatever it was that they had done, right? Did that ever happen to you? And they would look at me like, what is up with you? Because even at a young age, they were given a capacity, I think by God, to distinguish between whatever they had done or said and my reaction, which had a lot more to do with what was going on inside me at that moment. So think again now with me about Jesus in conversation with his good friend, Peter. And Jesus has just said something really hard, that he's going to suffer and he's going to die. And his friend Peter says, no, Lord, that can't happen to you. And Jesus just yells at him, right? Yells at him with an intensity that, to my ear at least, suggests that he was struggling himself with the very thing he was saying to his friend. He was struggling to accept the fact, maybe, that he was going to suffer and die. And so when his friend suggested to him that maybe he didn't have to, he, he felt unnerved by that, and he yelled at him, get behind me, Satan. And I don't know if you remember this, but he actually tells his disciples this very thing about his suffering and death three times, not just once. This was the first time. He says almost the exact same thing again after they come down from this glorious mountain experience. And then right as they're coming into Jerusalem, he tells them again, this is what's going to happen. And each time, the way the story's written, you think he's doing it for their benefit. But I wonder if he's, each time, coming to terms with it himself as well. Because even at the very end, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying alone to his God, he prays, Lord, if it be possible, take this from me. And then he says, but your will, not mine, be done. He says to us that before, to be his followers, we need to take up our cross and follow him. Before we can take up our cross, we have to accept our cross, that it belongs to us. And that acceptance is not easy. And I don't think it's meant to be easy because a cross represents death. And 
Everything about us is meant to struggle against death. We were created for life. And so when faced with death, we resist. And whenever we're spared from death, we're so grateful, as we should be. And perhaps the cross is for those times when we can't be spared. I don't watch a lot of television, but every once in a while, I get caught up in one of those series on Netflix. And um, <laughs> at the recommendation of one of our sons and his girlfriend, I started watching a show that aired about a decade ago entitled uh, Friday Night Lights. Perhaps you remember it. It's apparently a spin-off of a movie with the same name. And it's set in a small town, Dillon, Texas, and it revolves around the high school football team, the Dillon Panthers, which is the most important social institution in Dillon. <laughs> Churches are important, but salvation comes through football. <laughs> and in the first episode, the pilot show, the star quarterback, who's this sweet, gifted young man named Jason, who has nothing but good things to look forward to, throws an interception in the season opener. And then he watches in horror, as only, you know, slow motion horror, as the player who caught the ball dodges every block, and suddenly Jason is the only player on the Panthers between him and the goal. So he runs and he tackles him hard and badly, and he's injured badly. And a nightmare begins as the severity of his injuries reveal themselves. By the end of that episode, the doctors are telling Jason's parents, he'll never walk again. He'll never walk again. Jason's initial response after the shock wears off is a noble struggle against this prognosis. He becomes the model patient, first in the hospital and then in rehab. He's goaded on by his girlfriend who is determined to keep their collective dream alive because she has as much invested in his future football career as he does. And he's encouraged by his roommate in rehab who alone understands what's ahead of him. I'm hoping for a miracle at this point because <laughs> I'm a mom and that's what moms do. But after a few episodes, reality begins to sink in for Jason. And when his girlfriend speaks to him encouragingly about him getting better, he lashes out at her, will you shut up? Shut up. Don't you see? I'm never going to walk again. Get behind me, Satan. Jason starts to play wheelchair basketball in rehab, and not surprisingly, he picks it up fast and well, and he lands an invitation to train with the Special Olympics and try out for the team. This is a new day for Jason, and he pours himself into it, and I am right there with him, cheering him on. And even though his girlfriend is now sleeping with his best friend, <laughs> it seems for a while at least as if Jason is going to get to keep his life, albeit in a different way. And he does well at training camp, but he doesn't make the team. It's another devastating blow. You don't understand, he tells the coaching staff. You don't understand, I'm yelling at my TV. I really need this. 
And the coaches reply, this isn't therapy, son. This is the Olympics. And the dream, his dream of being a star athlete is over. He goes back to Dylan, and through a series of interactions with the young man who's now replaced him as quarterback, Jason realizes that he has a gift at coaching the game he can't play anymore. So before long, he's back on the field as part of the coaching staff. And it seems now that Jason's found a place. And for a while, you know, he has. And he seems happy. And he is. Until the beginning of the second season. (laughs) And Jason is desperate now to get out of his chair. And he takes every incremental evidence of progress as a sign, a sign from God that one day he's going to walk again. And when his doctors tell him there is no chance of that, he finds a doctor in Mexico doing experimental spinal surgeries on paraplegics, and he goes to Mexico in search of the healing he so badly wants. And his friend goes along for the ride and realizes much sooner than Jason, that Jason is in real danger, that he could die in the hands of this doctor. So the friend enlists the old girlfriend, and the girlfriend goes to Mexico, and in a way that can only be done in television, they all wind up on a boat. And on the boat, in the ocean, Jason's friend stages a mini-intervention. And Jason listens to this truth without a word. And when his friend turns his back, he lifts himself up and hurls his broken body into the sea. He'd rather die than take up this cross. And he sinks down and down into the water. And we watch him sink. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is when his character is getting written off the show. But, But then... Then we see him struggle to swim to the surface, and he makes it. And with the considerable strength of his upper body and this newly discovered will to live, he swims to shore. And as his friends make their way to him, you see him sitting there by himself, looking out at the water, and he's at peace. You can tell. He's in a new place. I'm not having the surgery, he says to his friends. Let's go home. I had to stop watching Friday Night Lights because it was starting to take over my life. (laughs) But, But I know that was the moment when Jason's acceptance journey ended and he took up his cross, which is to say he embraced the reality that was beyond his ability to change and chose to live from there as his new starting place. Which isn't to say there wouldn't be suffering in the taking up of his cross, but the suffering of struggling to accept it was over. He goes back to Dillon, moves out of his parents' house, quits the coaching staff, and gives his coach all of his football trophies and videos of his former glory maybe to encourage a freshman, he says. He's taken up his cross, he's made it his own, and he's ready to live anew.
life. Before we can take up our cross, we have to accept that it's our cross to take up. And that acceptance is not easy. For me, that journey of acceptance is often long. It's mostly internal. And it happens in stages. I'm not proud of how long it can take me to come to acceptance of the things I cannot change. Joan Chittister, the Benedictine, writes, The will of God for us, hear me now, the will of God for us is what remains of a situation after we try without stint and pray without ceasing to change it. I'm not certain that's true, but I do know that when acceptance comes, it's like forgiveness this way, It feels like a gift, but one that I have struggled mightily to receive. And when acceptance comes, the struggle ends. And I feel a kind of solidarity with God, like we're in this together. And I'm willing now to live through the prism of the cross, a completely different life. And one of the hallmarks of that new life is that the focus at last shifts away from me and toward other people or a larger purpose that the particular cross can serve. I recently came across an article that Dr. Martin Luther King wrote in the Christian Century, a journal entitled Suffering and Faith. It was published in 1960, so that would have been after the Montgomery bus boycotts, but three years before the March on Washington and five years before the March on Selma. And the editors wrote him back because in the article entitled Suffering and Faith, King never mentioned his own suffering, and they wondered if he might. And he wrote them back and said that he hesitated to write of his own suffering because it seemed unseemly. But given that they asked and that the topic was about it, he would add a few paragraphs of his own experience. They actually didn't arrive in time for the original article, but they were added later as an addendum. And this is what he wrote. Due to my involvement in the struggle for the freedom of my people, I have known very few quiet days in the last few years. I have been arrested five times in 1960 and put in Alabama jails. My home has been bombed twice. A day seldom passes that my family and I are not the recipients of threats of death. I have been the victim of a near-fatal stabbing. So in a real sense, I have been battered by the storms of persecution. I must admit that at times I have felt that I could no longer bear such a heavy burden and have been tempted to retreat to a more quiet and serene life. But every time such a temptation appeared, something came to strengthen and sustain my determination. I have learned now that the master's burden is light precisely when we take his yoke upon us. 
My personal trials have also taught me the value of unmerited suffering. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course. Recognizing the necessity for suffering, I have tried to make of it a virtue, if only to save myself from bitterness. I have attempted to see in my personal ordeals an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I have lived these last years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. There are some who still find the cross a stumbling block and others who consider it foolishness, but I am more convinced than ever that it is the power of God. It is the power of God unto social and individual salvation. So like the Apostle Paul, I can now humbly yet proudly say, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The suffering and agonizing moments to which through which I have passed over these last few years, have also drawn me closer to God. More than ever before, I am convinced in the reality of a personal God. Those of you who are to be confirmed and received and to reaffirm your faith, um, and all of us, um, with whatever crosses that you may be called upon to accept in your life, may you always remember that Jesus is there to help you shoulder it. And may you come to know to be true what our faith proclaims, which is that the way of the cross not in the abstract, but our personal crosses, yours and mine, can be for us the way of life. And not just for us alone, but for all those who will know something of God's grace because of the crosses we accept and take on and carry forward. Amen.